All right, we're going to get started. Again, welcome to Providence Road. We are glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, we, are con- we are starting our Advent series um, where we'll spend the next four weeks looking at uh, the four early traditional Advent themes that the church has looked at throughout um, the centuries, and that's uh, hope, peace, uh, joy, and love. And today we're going to focus on hope and um, really what that means to us and looking at Jesus as obviously the source of our hope. Let me uh, pray with me, and then we'll jump into this. Father, I just uh, pray now that you would help us focus. Pray you could center our minds on you. I pray you would prepare us to, to look at your word Pray that your spirit would work through the word as we know that these are your words inspired by the spirit. I pray that your spirit would change us this morning as a result of reading the word, that these aren't just lessons on a page or another really good book we read, that these are, this is your revelation to humanity. So I pray we would, that we would believe that you can change us this morning through your word, and I pray that you would do that. Pray you would give us clear minds, and you would change our minds through this, and that you would um, change our, our hearts, the way we feel, our emotions, and it would change the way we live when we leave this place. Help us, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So as 2020 comes to a close, um, I think we, we long, we, we ache more than ever before for those four things I mentioned. Right? Like if, if there ever was a year that we needed hope and peace and joy and love, it, was, it would be 2020, right? I think, I think we are set up right now in a really good place for Advent because I think 2020 has primed us for this. It's primed us for the ache, the longing that should come, around, come along with Advent season. So I, I want us over the next four weeks, month, or so, to lean in to this anticipation. Lean into this longing. Don't put it aside. Don't say, well, I, I shouldn't feel like that. I shouldn't feel like... I, no, I want us to really lean into that. And what we normally do during this time, and rightfully so, we look back. We look back to the birth of Jesus, the coming of our Savior. But we find ourselves at this point in history where that's already happened, Like the first advent, the first arrival, which is what advent means, um, that's already happened. And now we look forward at this place in history to the future awaiting the second arrival or the second advent of Jesus. We want to celebrate the first, but we want to watch and ache and long for Jesus to come back. Where Jesus will, will, will dwell with him forever. And the brokenness and the messiness of this world that we feel so close to us, I think, right now, will be made new. Not this weak, sanitized hope that often the world tells us to have, that maybe you find on a a t-shirt or coffee mug in a Christian bookstore. That's not the kind of hope that we long for or we need during this time. This is a hope that's time-tested, rugged. It's a certainty that Christians can bank on. It's that kind of hope. It's that kind of hope that I want us to have as the people of God moving into this Advent season, and hopefully that helps us be able to navigate what 2020 has been. 
Because it's been a hard year. It's been a hard year. And I think usually maybe coming into Advent, we, we have to, unless all of us have these, these acute individual moments in our lives or our families that we go through that we long for the return of Jesus. But collectively, as a nation and as a world, um, I think we're in a good spot. We're in a good spot to ache, to long for the coming of Jesus, like maybe never before, at least in our lifetimes. So I'm wondering what God wants to do in and through us during this season. And I would just put a question out there for those of you who are not followers of Jesus. I would ask you, what are you putting your hope in right now? What have you put your hope in during this year that has been 2020? Like, what are you banking on for the things we all want, right? We want, we all as human beings, we want hope. We want peace. We want joy. We want love. We want all of those things as human. That's a human thing that we desire. Where are you looking for those things during this time? So really, my, my, my goal today is to put this idea of hope under a microscope, under a microscope by, by looking at three aspects of it. The first one, the picture of our future hope. Looking to the future, what are we putting our hope in and using some imagery there? The second one, um, the second kind of aspect of it is, the, what are the difficulties in our hoping? Right? Okay, okay we, we know we should hope, but what makes hoping so difficult? And third, the source of our hope. Right? What is the source of our hope? So let's look at Romans 8, 17 and 18. Romans 8 is going to be our primary text today. This is one of the best passages in all of Scripture when it comes um, to hope. And this is Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says this, And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now read verse 17 there just to make sure we connect what has been said in the previous passage to the passage we're going to read today. This idea that that Paul has unpacked the gospel in the previous really 16 verses in Romans 8. They're really the whole book, but in Romans here. And then he's talking about we're children and we're heirs. We're heirs with God and we're heirs with Christ. Then he says this phrase, provided we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. And then verse 18 continues really that thought. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So what is this glory? Because this is obviously Paul saying, Paul, Paul saying that we, we can... We can, we can make it through suffering. We can deal with suffering. We can actually be, um, be um, we can grow through suffering, but he also attaches this glory to that. So we need to understand, well, what's this glory he's talking about? Well, let's look at Revelation 21, 1 through 4. And here's the picture, right? This is the picture we should have in our minds when we think of future glory. Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says this, Then I saw, this is, this is John here writing this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So the, the world we currently live in, it was gone, he says. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God, like with them, like connected to them in a more intimate way than we can experience now. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, 
nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the picture of our future hope. If you are in Christ, if you believe in him, if you have faith in Jesus, then this is your destiny, so to speak. This is where all things are headed for you. And so this kind of puts us, puts us up against this question of, well, what's the difference? I think it's a good question to ask. What's the difference between a Christian definition or a biblical definition of hope and the way it is usually used? Right? What are the difference? Because we use that word a lot, and oftentimes when we talk about it, we don't use it in the biblical way. And I'm not saying that's wrong. We just need to realize that there's two ways we tend to use hope. The more common way that we use hope in the world is uh, we kind of express uncertainty when we say it. Like, I hope it doesn't rain today. I don't know for sure if it's going to rain or not, but I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope 2020 gets better, right? Like, we hope that, but we have no clue. They're like, what, what's the next shoe that's going to drop this year, right? I hope all of the, the teams that the Thunder have draft picks for right now will be really, really bad over the next five years. Like, I hope that they will, right? Sorry if that offends you. But I hope that, but I, there's no certainty in, in that. So when we usually say hope, we just need to acknowledge that we aren't talking about biblical hope. When we read the word hope in the Bible, like in 1 Peter 1.13, which will be on the screen here, this is a, a great passage on what is biblical hope. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So hopeful is not wishful thinking. Hope, biblical hope is not, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I hope it happens. It's more like a wish. I wish that would happen. There's some uncertainty there. And this is not what we mean by biblical Christian hope. There's certainty in this. And so in this Advent season, when we talk about hope, you hear songs with hope in it. You see Christmas decorations with hope in it. It's not, I, I wish that this would happen. It is biblical certainty. It is hope. So when Christ, Christian hope is when God has promised that something is going to happen, and you put your trust in that promise. You believe in it. You can bank on it. Christian hope is a confidence that, that something will come to pass because God has promised that it will come to pass. Listen to John Piper, his, his quote here on biblical hope. Biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And it not only expects it to happen, it is confident that it will happen. There's a moral certainty that the good we expect and desire will be done. When the word says hope in God, it does not mean cross your fingers. It means, to use the words of William Carey, expect great things from God. So I want to put this, this, this cultural hope, this, this, this idea of, of normal kind of a wishful thinking, I just want to put it to the test here. You think about some of the big issues we've come, into, come across this year, right? Number one, the pandemic. Massive thing, affecting the whole world. And what I've observed is, it even felt in my own heart is, is that we are putting our hope in things that were never, are never meant to stand up under the weight of that. For example, um, scientists, right? Scientists, tell us at the beginning of the, of the pandemic, we put all of our weight in scientists to help us understand what's going on here, what the pandemic is, give us information. Give us, and they're just early on, if you remember, there just wasn't a lot of data. There just wasn't even time yet to run the studies and the research that needed to be done. 
It caught even the smartest scientists in the medical profession off guard. It did. But we put our hope in them still because they're scientists, right? But they're human, right? They're, they, can't, they don't know the future. They didn't know this was coming. We do the same thing with medical professionals who are on the front lines, right? Maybe the ones early on in the pandemic when they're in the, in the ICU where people were losing their lives. Why can't we save people's lives? What's going on, doctor? Again, like, again that, that, that's okay to put some measure of hope in that, but if we're putting that biblical idea of hope in them, it is going to fail because they weren't meant to bear the weight of that kind of hope. Take our leaders, our politicians, right? We're very critical of how they've led, and, and maybe there is some blame to go around there on how different politicians at different levels have led. But again, if we're putting our ultimate hope and we're banking on the politicians and our leaders for love and joy and peace and hope, they are going to fail us. Not because they're necessarily bad at their jobs, because they're human. We couldn't do their jobs either. Right, most of us, right? So these, this is the problem with putting our hope um, in, in to, to help us get through these major things that we face. And, and I think clearly that those who bank on cultural hope, right, bank on this idea of wishful thinking and put all their, their weight on these things will be disappointed and may even be led to despair. And you look at any study on mental health right now, there's an there's a increase in mental health issues across the nation right now. People are really struggling with all that is going on in our country right now. Once again, there, I know there's other things mixed into some of those, those, those issues, but hope is definitely in the mix, right? What, what are we putting our hope in? What are we looking to for peace and love and hope and those kinds of things? What are we putting our faith in? This really brings us to the difficulties of our hope. What are the barriers to actually having that hope? Because we could just leave and say, hope, hope in God, right? Not, don't have the, 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 the hope that the world talks about or the, how we normally use it, but actually have biblical hope. Well, how, how do we do that, right? How do we do that when it feels like oftentimes the world is falling apart around us? Let's keep reading in Romans here, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, I want us to notice this. This isn't necessarily human creation. This is uh, the, the physical creation outside of humanity, right? It's, it's waiting. All of creation waits. But the human creation is, is waiting for Christians to be glorified. So what it says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That moment when Jesus returns to set up the new heavens and the new earth, and those who have had faith in Jesus, who are Christians, that will be, will be brought back really from the dead to live in this new heavens and new earth. We'll have resurrected bodies. We'll have glorified bodies, the scriptures call, call that. And so that is what even the creation is groaning and longing for that. You think of the brokenness that we see in natural disasters, in viruses, like these kinds of things, we're, we're, there's an element of groaning with all of creation. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Now, this is a, a verse that says, we, we, it tells us we really shouldn't be surprised. Like the things we face in 2020, we really shouldn't be surprised because it says here, for the creation was subjected to futility was subjected to brokenness, was subjected to not working as it should. Who subjected that? I believe it. God is the one who subjected it to futility because it says it was subjected to futility in hope. Verse 20 says it. It's subjected to futility in hope. So there's this, 
There's this hopeful thread that runs through all of our suffering, through all of the futility, through all of the viruses, through all of the racial tension, through all of the political elections, right? The sense, the thread of hope is, it runs through that because God was the author of that. God is the author of that. Let's keep reading verse 21. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So creation is going to take part when we're redeemed, when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom. The creation, the physical creation shares in that with us. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And I think it's interesting he uses that image of, imagery of childbirth because obviously childbirth, the labor process, very painful, right? Not fun, but the result of that is something beautiful, something joyous most of the time. The baby's healthy, right? Like there, there's, there's a lot of joy and celebration that happens after a baby is born, but there's some pain, there's some difficulty to get to that point. And so that imagery fits really well here that Paul uses, right? This, this world, it's in, it's in decay. It's corrupt. It's broken. It's not as it should be because God has subjected it to futility in hope, right? So this is, this is the world we live in. So if we shouldn't be really surprised that we find ourselves in this place. But the good news is, is we have hope because it says that God has subjected it in hope. There's a hope there that, that runs through all of these things. So during this Advent season, we should really embrace that ache, embrace the fact that the world is not how it is, and think of what can I put my hope in or what, where should my hope be? These, 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 these groanings, these aching should be the mark of a follower of Jesus. We think of that Revelation picture 21 where all pain is gone, all death is gone, all crying is gone, all mourning is gone, and we should say, Jesus, come. I want that. I'm tired of crying. I'm tired of seeing numbers of people who've died this year because of a virus that nobody can understand. That's awful. Jesus, come. And then turning to Jesus for our hope and our longing, not, not putting, again, all of our hope in trying to find the right answer. Again, that's important to some degree, but our hope should lie in Jesus. And I think especially for us in the West and in the United States, we don't have the opportunity in life, because for the most part, culturally and collectively as the church in our country, we have it pretty good. We have it pretty good, but this year is different. Um, again, all these things going on in the world right now make it difficult. That's a challenge for us to put our, put our hope in things, right? But it also has revealed some idolatry that we have. It's uprooted comforts. It's, it's, it's reminded us of our mortality. It's brought a new awareness of the brokenness around us. So not only is this year really tough, it has shown us the things we grab onto or reach for when our lives get scary, when the future's uncertain. That's a reflection question for us, right? It's, it's something I've been trying to ask myself through this whole thing. Like when I felt extra anxiety, extra uncertainty about what's next, what's next for my family, what's next for the church, like, and these things start to, they go beyond wondering to an anxiety and maybe a pit in my stomach and body aches. It's like, okay, wait a minute, where's the fear? Like, what am I afraid of here? What am I truly putting my hope in? Because my hope is in Revelation 21, that's what I need to set my side on, not, oh, how, how are things going to turn out or how are things going to go, but I'm so prone to worry about tomorrow, next week, next year. 
And some of those things are really silly things that I worry about. But my hope should be in Jesus. And that brings us to the third part of this, is what, what should um, our source of our hope be? Right? We've seen the picture of it. We've seen the barriers to having that hope. Now, what is the source of it? Eugene Peterson says this, a person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he or she acquires an appetite for the world of grace. And so I think this season can allow us to be fed up. I'm fed up with the world. The world will never give me what I want. The world will never give me the hope that I need. Let's read uh, Romans 8, 23, um, and and go through 25 here. And not only the creation groans, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he has? He sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Right? And so this really brings us to the point of our Advent season, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to fix our eyes on him for our hope and nothing else. And this season, I love it because it really allows us to do that. Colossians 1.27 speaks of hope here. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Mystery is there, the gospel, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if if you're a follower of Jesus, you have Christ in you right now through his spirit. And it's the hope of glory. You have the hope of glory living inside of you in Jesus, which is pretty amazing. And that's a mystery, and that blows our minds, but it's worth meditating on, reflecting on, thinking about. Because that is the source of our hope. Romans 8, 31 through 32 Really, Romans 8, the whole, the whole, I would encourage you to go home and read the whole chapter. I think it's the best chapter in all the scripture. It's, it's definitely one of my favorites. But he says this in light of the, the, really the, the theology and the gospel that he's unpacked before that. He says this, what then shall we say to these things? And this is the, the suffering that comes in. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I'll read that again. What then shall we say to these things? The things he's just said, the things we've just read. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So what is more hopeful, or what can we put our hope in to a greater degree than the all-powerful God of the universe putting forth, giving up his only begotten son. What, what could be more hopeful than that? This is why Paul immediately follows this with just some straightforward logic. He's saying, okay, the God of the universe <clears throat> gives up his only son for people who didn't deserve it, rebellious, sinful human beings like all of creation. If God does that, and he did that, how will he not also graciously give us everything else that we need? Like, the logic is simple there, right? And that logic brings hope. When we're in the middle of despair, depression, um, maybe, maybe you thought about thoughts of suicide. Like, this is, the, this is like the foundation. Like, if, if God did this, if I believe that God gave his son for me, then why will he not also graciously give us all things? You think about that in a human example. If a parent was to give up their child for someone else, wouldn't that they also be 
be trustworthy to give up anything else for that person for the rest of their lives? Of course. And so we think of it logically, it makes so much sense. So we can look away from the circumstances that confront us and look to Christ, to the promises. And so when we say Jesus died for our sins, and we can trust Jesus, and, and, and uh, you know, kind of these, these statements we make that are, that are true, the why behind our statement is, is Romans 8, right? It's, it's 31 through 32. Because he gave us his own son, how will he not also graciously give us all things? And I want to finish with an illustration that I think really um, I think helps us really put ourselves in, in the place of someone in the scripture. This is from Mark 1. This is early on in Jesus' ministry. Um, he comes across a leper. And this leper has obviously heard about Jesus. He's seen some of what Jesus has done. And it says this. Mark says, 1 says this. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Listen to the hope in that. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter, from all over the place. So you can imagine, if you put yourself in the place of that leper, right, a great need, like a, a huge need. Like he was an outcast. He was slowly dying from this disease. No one wanted to be around him, but yet he had saw enough of Jesus to have hope that he could come to him imploring and kneeling, kneeling like this, this, this posture of humility, and he believes that Jesus could make him clean. And Jesus does. You can imagine if you put yourself in the place of the leper there. Like, we all need healing. We all need to be rid of the fears we have. We all need a greater sense of hope. Now, the first thing that Jesus saves us from is our sin. Right? Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. The scriptures say Jesus became sin for those he what jesus knew no sin became sin for us so that we might uh, experience the righteousness of god or we may have the righteousness of god right so jesus comes dies in our place right takes the wrath of god upon himself we get the righteousness of christ he gets our sin what theologians call the great exchange he does that on behalf so we get salvation if we have faith and trust in that but he also comes near to us he brings us into his family. He adopts us, as, adopts us as sons and daughters. He gives us an inheritance. He promises to give us an inheritance in the future. He gives us the Holy Spirit, which Romans 8 says is the first fruits, right? So this is what Jesus did on our behalf. So for our hope, yes, we hope that we have someone who has, like, like the leper, had rem saw what Jesus had done. He, he saw enough to know, I can hope and trust that Jesus can heal me. Just like us, if we... No salvation in Jesus, right? Like if, we, if we've experienced that, we can go to him to have hope because of what he has done for us already. So again, Christmas is not this, this line that's like once upon a time, um, this thing happened that shows how we can like have a happier life and live a better life. That is not the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, that none of us could have lived, died a death that we all deserve to die. And he rose again after three days and gives us the Holy Spirit, those who believe in him. And then one day he will return.
to set up the new heavens and new earth. That is the gospel. That is the message of Christmas. And that is what we can put our hope in. And that's what our hope has to be in. I'm going to read one more passage here. And this is what hope does in us. This is kind of the last, uh, some application here I want to give you. Hebrews 6, 9 through 12. Listen to how um, the writer of Hebrews connects hope to how we live. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Listen, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So basically connects hope to the ability to not be sluggish and imitate those who are loving people well, who are giving their life up for the sake of the gospel. So what our world needs right now is hope. And it's not this kind of sanitized, cultural Christianity type hope. We had the chance in 2020, in this year that's been given to us, to truly express and live out what biblical hope looks like. Again, it's not this kumbaya stuff. It's realistic. Yeah, this world has been subject to futility, and it's awful. And a lot of the parts of this world are awful. But there is hope because God subjected it in hope, and we see that hope come to fulfillment in Jesus, the gospel. So let's remember that. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for hope. I'm thankful that we have a faith that is not... um, something that we just have to um, wish that happens, the things in the scriptures. We, we wish these things would happen, or we hope with this, this, this thing of uncertainty that these things will happen. But no, we, we have certainty in your promises. This promise that we see played out in Revelation 21. The, the promises that Paul um, unravels in Romans 8 to show us that Um, Nothing can separate us from your love. Nothing. If God has done this for us in the past, how will he not graciously give us all things? So we're in the the throes and in in the pit of anxiety or fear or worry about what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to happen to my loved one or what's going to happen with me. We can embrace those things, recognize, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling here. But we can have this hope because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Help us. Help us believe that. Help us even here believe that, but also when we, when we really need it. This week, this month, the Christmas season, help us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.